Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. So, Melanie, we do have some feedback this week. Okay. Uh, I just want to okay. share from our last episode. Scott wrote on Discord, um, This we're talking about the birthday dinner thing, right? Taking right. the kids out. So Scott says... Since I'm a twin, this isn't Scott Landry, by the way. Okay. Another Scott who's a twin. <laughs> yes, who I used to work for. Uh, since I'm a twin, the way that our parents did the birthday dinner thing was that if we are turning an even age, I got to pick. And if we're turning an odd age, my brother got to pick. So at 11, 12, uh-huh. 13, back and yeah. forth, back and forth. Interesting. But they got, both got to go. Right. It was just who, who got to pick where they were going. Yes. Yeah. That's fun. It's, that sounds like a fair, very fair way of dealing with it. Yes. Yes. Speaking of which, um, I I didn't write this down. It was Sophie's birthday this week. It, yes, it was Sophie's birthday this <laughs> we were week. We're like, what did we do this week? What did we do? It was yesterday. <laughs> we're tired. It's been yes. a day. Oh, you, you have no idea. <laughs> you rushed to get to this uh, podcasting. Um, so Sophie's birthday, 15. 15. And um, I'm not ready for her to be 15. No. Well, now we've got uh, 15. 15 seems so much older than 14 somehow. Like it's like tipped into that like later teenage years. Well, you're on the second half. Right. Right. Because the teenage years are really 13 to 18. Right. Because because 10, 11, 10, 11, 12 don't count. Right. And once you're 18, you're you're an adult. You know, you're going to college or going to get a job or whatever, you know. I mean, you still might be living at home, but you're now you're an adult. So halfway, 13 to 18, boom, 15, you're on the other end. Right. You're on the other side. That's right. It's that tipping point. So um, still not too old to get fun Star Wars figures. Yeah. Well, we had to fill out the collection. <laughs> right. They're collectibles now. Yeah. In fact, they're so collectible that we probably won't be able to fill out the collection of Bad Batch uh Star Wars black figures because the Hunter one has now stopped being affordable and is now like a hundred bucks. Ooh, I'm going to see if I uh, can hunt one down. Ha 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 ha. Did not mean that pun, but uh, I'll take it. Yeah. In fact, because I realized that they were quickly getting out of our price range, I went ahead and got her two. I got Wrecker and Omega. We should probably get any others that are out there. Just buy them. Just buy them and and. Yeah, have, have them, them on hand. Yeah, that's true. I think that e- Echo Echo is still out there, and then, like I said, Hunter is the only other one they don't have, right. and he's super expensive. Um, but they have Tech and um, Crosshair, tech, of cross, course, right? Of Sophie's course. favorite, yeah. And uh, now they have Wrecker and Omega. That's awesome. Um. So, and then for, as we talked about with birthday dinners, like with Anthony, I took him out to Bertucci's uh, Italian pizza restaurant. Uh, you took Sophie out for her. She asked you to take her. She chose you. She, she chose best. me. 
Yes. Yeah. I think she was trying, to, she, she wanted me to have a chance since you had a chance with Anthony. Uh, actually, I'm glad you went. I'm glad, I'm really glad you went. I would have felt guilty to, to go with her. <laughs> <laughs> um, she had a hard time deciding. Sophie has a hard time deciding. Um, I... I pity the man. <laughs> I did not put my thumb heavily on the scale to try to push her towards sushi, but she picked sushi. Um, I, I very, very fairly laid out all sorts of options and she eliminated by category. Like, no, I really don't feel in the mood for Mexican food. I did Mexican food for my last birthday. No, I don't feel in the mood for Indian. I just had curry for lunch. Um I kind of feel in the mood for Asian food, but we eliminated Thai because she doesn't really like Thai. And, and Vietnamese just doesn't feel all that special because we go to the faux place all the time. And we ended up with sushi. I did not yeah. make her pick sushi. And not Chinese. Interesting. That wasn't even on the... I, I did kind of not offer Chinese as an option because I'm just not a huge fan of Chinese. Right. There are good Chinese restaurants in Quincy, but yeah, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say there's like birthday quality restaurants chinese restaurants really close to us yeah i mean they're they're most of the chinese places around here are sort of the like takeout chinese which is the ones that are more bar than they are chinese restaurant what was the one that that blows my socks off and makes me say that's where i want to go for a special meal what was the one in abington the big one great 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 wall no no no, not great wall great something great chow great chow which you know Nice pun. Um, it was good. Yeah, you got sushi. Oh man, I was kind of like, I was debating whether to tell you to bring, you know, get me some, but uh, that's too much. I, I I did go a little bit crazy in terms of ordering. Sophie couldn't choose, and I was hungry, and <laughs> so we got two salads: a seaweed salad and a regular garden salad with the ginger sauce. The ginger, the ginger salad. salad. Oh, so dressing. Yeah. They're both really good. Uh, we got some plate of. Mixed shrimp and vegetable tempura. Nice. Which was kind of disappointing. It was super crunchy. So like two thumbs up on terms of texture. Uh-huh. But it really felt like the, the tempura batter didn't have any salt in it. And it was like super lacking in the salty category. And then the dipping sauce they had was really kind of flat and meh. Hmm. So the tempura was like. Mm, yeah so so uh but we got gyoza that was your pork dumplings and we got the pan fried and those were really good they had a nice like slightly crispy texture to them they're kind of like um um pot stickers pot stickers right but these were just like very light yeah and fluff like you can tell the difference between like the frozen pot stickers oh yeah versus the homemade handmade fresh yes. gyoza yes. uh and then I wasn't jealous before, but now I am. Um, and then we got a bunch of sushi rolls. We actually got so much that Sophie had two of her maki left over that she didn't eat. So we brought them home. <laughs> nice. Wow. That's um, a lot. For, it's it's a lot when, when you fill up Sophie to the point where she's like, I'm kind of full and I can't like I ate all of mine. We were very careful to like both take the same piece of sushi at the same time so that we were no one got more than the other no yes. we, we 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 were very judiciously splitting everything <laughs> in half mm. not like she, she's just kind of i could tell she was trying to be very fair and not to overstep and she was it was more about her being thoughtful of you as opposed to like like not just 
gobbling it all up. She kind of, yeah, she kind of would wait for me to take something and then she would take the same thing. It was very cute. She was very like, I don't think she's, I've ever been out to, to dinner one-on-one with her before, just the two of us. And it was, it was kind of fun. Yeah. But it was very little different, like sharing a thing of sushi because there is always a little bit of like the etiquette of how do, when you've got like a, just the boat of sushi or the plate of sushi in front right. of you, um, you have to kind of decide how to divvy it up. Right. Well, that's why it's it's a terrible like early date uh, meal. Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of tension in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like shared plates it, when you're dating at the early stages. Ooh. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little bit not it's not so tense when you're a mom, da- mother, daughter, husband, right. wife sort of thing. Right. Oh. Well, you just snooze, you lose is my motto. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> Uh, and then for her birthday cake, Sophie decided she wanted a key lime cheesecake, uh, which was, uh, she helped me make it and it was fabulous. Mm. So good. Including the, uh, the big crack in the middle from when Bella dropped a container on it. In the I, I did. Yeah. I didn't cover the cheesecake when I put it in the fridge, which was my fault. And so when Bella was putting some leftovers back into the fridge, she dropped a container on top of the cheesecake. <laughs> it wasn't a disaster. It was fine. No. It was a little yeah. crack. So, yeah, it was good. It was a good birthday for her. I think she enjoyed it. She was very, very pleased. Yeah. Um, so, you know what? One of the, one thing I was thinking about today or yesterday, whatever, one of the last few days, we got so we've got some snow this week. We got like an inch at most and to, like the ones the snow we got yesterday was we didn't even have to shovel. It just melted off the driveway. Well, because it was like snow, rain, snow, rain, snow, yeah. rain, snow, rain. It just it kept like turning into rain and washing away, melting away. So I I came to a realization that for the first time in probably 40 years, 40 years, I haven't had to shovel any snow this winter. That can't be right, because the first two winters I was here, there was like almost no snow. In 2000 and 2001, 2002, like there was no snow those winters, like a dusting. And that's it. I know because I was bitterly disappointed at the lack of snow. I would I would have to go back and look at the at the uh, the snow records. I suppose it's possible in Salem we got very little snow in 2000 2001 maybe. I don't know. We didn't we didn't get snow. Okay. Well, uh, now I have to go back and look it up. But I'm not going to do that now. Uh but uh, but I will let you all know next week. But the reason I didn't haven't had to shovel is we did we have got enough snow like t- a couple times that you know it was a couple inches needed to be shoveled, but the kids did it. Ben mostly, mostly Ben. And this is the best. Like we're at that stage now where they're starting to take over tasks. Like if we got more than a couple inches, if it was enough that you use the snowblower, I'd I'd run the snowblower. But it's I don't think he's at thirteen. He's not old enough yet to run the snowblower. I'm. I would wait till he's like 16 before I, I'd be comfortable with that. But, um, but at this point, just go to it, boy. And, you know, they do dishes, they do, and, you know, they, they're getting stuff done. And it's like, you can just turn to them, and go, go do the thing, do the task. And it gets done. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> it's nice. So, um, no, now you kind of ruined my whole thing about the now the 40 years thing. It's like, it was, I had this really nice, like it's been 40 years. I've been shoveling snow. And- I, yeah. I just don't believe it. It's, it's an exaggeration. 
Sorry. In any case, uh, it's also Lent. We are now, this is the second Sunday of Lent as we record. Um, and it's enough time. And it's one of those things that people do. We, we say, how's your Lent going? It's like, how's your Lent? How's your Lent, Melanie? Um, not bad. Not yeah. bad. Uh, so I decided that for Lent, I was going to take the games and the Facebook app off my phone. Mm-hmm. To be more mindful and less like jumping to them all the time. Okay. Um, but the thing is that a large part of my day is spent with one-on-one sessions with homeschooled kids who are reading aloud to me or doing math while sitting next to me and I'm not actively helping them all the time. And one of the reasons why I turn to games on my phone is because you need a fidget. I need a fidget. Yeah. So my sketchbook has become my fidget and it's kind of one of those little ironies of life, which make me want to roll my eyes. Uh, But yeah, I've been saying, wow, I really don't have time to do art anymore. And I'm kind of missing drawing and painting. And sure enough, I eliminate the distractions on my phone. And now I filled up like 10 pages in my sketchbook Mm. in the first week. Wow. And then on Friday night, I wanted to listen to a podcast. And so I pulled out the sketchbook and my watercolors and I and I colored in one of the pencil sketches that I had done in my sketchbook. Okay. So. When you would normally be playing one of the the little Tetris game or something. Yeah. Normally I would be playing a game while listening to a podcast. And and this was a podcast about like faith and art. So there was a sort of a faith component of it Mm. um i mean in terms of like spiritual practices i suppose that's more just sort of the fasting from things aspect of lent Mm. um i'm trying to be a little bit more consistent with prayer i can't say that that's being terribly successful um and then i've got this great book that i'm reading uh are we jumping to the can we you can talk about the book. We'll talk more about books later, but we can, you can talk yeah. about this book for now. Okay, for now, um, my friend uh, Leah Sargent sent me this book. It's called The Word in the Wilderness, A Poem a Day for Lent and Easter, and it's by Malcolm Geet. Um, it is an anthology of poems, so not all the poems in it are by Malcolm Geet. Uh, there's poems from well, a lot of different poets, although there are some of... Um, Malcolm's poems in it too and then so he's got basically for every day there's a poem and then a couple page reflection on the poem and I've been reading it out loud to the kids uh, as part of our school because I find that I focus on poetry better when I'm reading it out loud and sharing it with someone Mm -hmm. and it's been really delightful and we've had some good conversations some of the poems have been hard and the kids were like I'm not sure I understood that poem by John Donne. It was really hard and it kind of was confusing. But the nice thing is the reflections kind of allow you to to dig a little bit deeper. And uh, and it's been it's been good. I really like to have a like literature component to my Lent. Uh, I. In the past, I've tried to read like purely devotional spiritual works, and those are good. Sometimes they're just really, really hard. 
And so something like this that's literary and appeals to my literary sense, but is also got a spiritual component is kind of a nice middle ground for me. Mm. Um, well, that sounds good. So my my spiritual practice that I've picked up from Lent is I'm praying the rosary every day. I've never really been a rosary every day sort of person. Um, I've been more like you. I've been more the, the divine office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have this great app on my phone that does a scriptural rosary and I was going to link to it and it turns out it's not in the store anymore, the, the app store anymore, which is kind of frustrating. There's a light version that doesn't have all of the mysteries. And then you were supposed to like, it's, it's supposed to be like a demo for the paid version because the paid version is not in the store. And it's like, it was, a, it's really good. And it, it's a really nice app because it has, um, the Latin prayers, you can switch to Latin uh-huh. prayers, but it also has it in a bunch of different languages, Spanish, Korean, like all these languages. And it even has the open dyslexic font. For nice. people. So it's really nice. It's a nice scriptural rosary. Anyway, what's, I've been, what's the app called? Rosary app. I mean, and if you Google, if you look in the app store for rosary app, there's like a, a billion and one of them. Right. So, I mean, it, yeah, I, I you know, there's a link, I, but it doesn't go anywhere. So there's no point, you know, linking it. Um, so it's frustrating. There are, there are other good rosary apps there. I just didn't, there were a lot of ones where they print it's audio rosary. So it right. plays like Greg and Jennifer Willits from the rosary army. They have a rosary army app, uh, which does, they, they pray the rosary with you, which is great. It's fine. And uh, and for, especially when you're driving or something, that can be really helpful. But I just wanted one that just, I, um, I wanted one that had, a scriptural rosary so that I had uh, prayers related to meditations related to the, you know, the different mysteries. Yeah. I think that in general, I have a hard time focusing on the rosary. Like my brain is just way too scattered, but in the past I had a scriptural rosary book that I really liked. And I I do find that having that like scriptural meditation does help to kind of ground me a little bit more. And this has fine art pictures. Well, that's nice. So, you know, of the, of the different mysteries. So it's really, really helpful. So I've been doing that every day, which has been awesome that I've been able to to do it every day. And as part of that, I have, I kind of took a page from my dad's book. I, literally, my dad had a prayer book that he kept that had names of everyone that he wanted to pray for every day. Um, and he just would had, and it was like pages long and he would just pray for all of them every day. And so I've started making a list of people I want to pray for. And it's kind of funny how quickly such a list can grow. Like you, you're always thinking of other people you want to, Oh, I should pray for someone's. Oh, Mm -hmm. I need to pray for. Oh, I got to pray for them. So I have that list that I've been praying for as well, which is really nice. Um, I have it both in hard copy, but also on my computer. And uh, the other thing I've done as part of that is I've been trying to learn the, our father and hail Mary and glory be in other languages. Uh huh. So I I have Latin and French, and I'm trying to pick up the Italian now. <clears throat> I don't know. There's something nice about being if you if you have ever found yourself in a position where you were going to pray with other people, being able to know those prayers. I also do think that in terms of like the distraction in prayer, I find that that layer of another language helps to kind of yes ground me. Yes, which actually came out in the book I'm reading. I'll talk about later, but a character finds the same thing. Right. Right. And uh, I remember a friend of mine from school, her her parents escaped from Czechoslovakia during the Cold War. And when they got to the West, 
they didn't know any the languages. I think uh-huh. they went to Germany first. And they didn't know the language, but they went. They were able to go to church and pray, and that was enough because they were Catholic. And this was, um, I think, it was still when Latin was still, you know, the mass was still Latin. And so they had they recognized the prayers. They could pray with everyone without right. any difference. But even if it's not in Latin, even if it's in a completely foreign language, you still the recognize structure it. Structure of the mass is such that, yeah. Even if you're not a hundred percent where you are, you can generally follow along. You know where in the mass you are. Yes. Yep. So it was really and the first the first um, words you learned in German, I think, were the Hail, Our Father and Hail Mary. So, uh, so that's how Lent's going so far. I really haven't added a um, sacrificial component yet. I just. Sometimes it feels so artificial. I'm giving up chocolate or I'm giving up, you know what I mean? I, and I know people talk about this all the time and, oh, and I'm not trying to put, put it down. I just never found anything that I felt like it, it didn't, for me, it didn't feel superficial giving it up. So, um, I'm but kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where I have, since I was a kid, not done sweets for Lent. Mm. To the point where it feels really wrong to have anything sweet, sweet during Lent. Yeah. Like I just, it's not even something I necessarily am giving up for Lent. It's just, it's Lent other than like special occasions like birthdays. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have dessert. I'm not going to treat myself. So it's more just like a sort of, that's my sort of default baseline for Lent. It doesn't feel like. It doesn't necessarily feel superficial so much as just. Right. It's just the habit. The one time I remember when I, I was pregnant and just exhausted and I was like, I pregnancy is enough for Lent. <laughs> and I continued to eat sweets through Lent. I remember when I hit Easter, it just felt disappointing. Like the Easter candy, the Easter sweets did not feel exciting because I had been eating candy throughout the whole of Lent. And I was like, you know what? I prefer to hit Easter with that kind of longing and hunger and excitement. Like the Orthodox great fast where you've given up, you know, meat, dairy, like everything during Lent. And so you get to the great feast of Easter and that feast is going to be good. Right. I guess that's, that's part of it to me is, is, I feel like if I don't have some sort of fasting component in Lent more than just like abstinence on Fridays and fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, then the feast of Easter doesn't feel like a feast so much. Mm. So I really need that that fasting of to some degree, um, even if it's just I'm not going to have dessert. I'm going to try to not have snacks between meals. Um, right. I think I might delete the Facebook app off my phone and I can't delete the Instagram app because I need it in order to post SQPN stuff to the SQPN account. But I maybe log out of my personal Instagram account on my phone. Mm -hmm. That might be a good way to do that. Just to, because I like the fact when I, I stopped reading Twitter several months ago um, when they killed the Twitter apps. Which meant I was started reading my book more. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, what an idea. Maybe I should start doing that. And maybe this will help that even more. Uh, I'm reading a really good book right now, which uh, I'll talk about when I get when I finish it. But um, I want to spend more time reading it. 
Uh, so let's talk about food. Now that we've talked about uh, Lent, we had we had one new recipe that we tried this week, and it's called Easy Mahi Mahi Recipe with Lemon Garlic Sauce. This that was that's the name of it. It's from this website, theforkedspoon.com. Just a kind Fork, of a forked the, spoon. The forked spoon. Okay. I, I'm not sure. Jessica, her name is Jessica and Jessica Randawa. Um, anyway, but she, this is her food blog and she has this recipe and um, it's basically like fish piccata. Like if you know, like a piccata, you know, Italian uh, piccata, chicken piccata, veal piccata. It's if I keep saying piccata, it's going to become one of those weird uncanny valley words. Uh-huh. Piccata, piccata, piccata. And so <laughs> the uh, it's basically uh, piccata because it's got lemon, garlic, butter and capers that's piccata um so but you cooked it because i I was busy working yes um made uh, a little bit of confusion on that score yes i picked up the recipe but i it wasn't so much confusion i did intend to make it but friday at what you know as the end of the day was coming i was still deep in prepping for recordings on saturday so i (laughs) couldn't stop and asked you to to take over um but how did it go um not bad it was actually pretty easy so basically you just chopped the long piece of mahi mahi into smaller yeah it came as one long fillet from the Um, store and then patted it dry which was weirdly it was very wet and it took a lot of paper towels to pat it dry it's probably because of the way it was it it was frozen solid at the store it's probably how the way that they freeze them i find that the these big long frozen fillets because they do salmon as well Uh uh-huh there's something weird about how they're frozen because remember the salmon that we got that time that was frozen like that was kind of mushy yeah this one the, the texture on this was really good actually that's good um and then it so it called for you to to pat it dry and then put salt lemon pepper salt and lemon pepper on the fish um not having lemon pepper and really preferring fresh grated lemon i just zested a lemon and mixed it with salt and pepper and just sprinkled it on the fish kind of rubbed it in Mm -hmm. and then you just pan sear the fish in some olive oil uh, like four minutes on the skin side and then two more minutes on the flesh side Mm -hmm. that was really it for the fish like that went really quick and then the pan sauce was just melt some butter throw in the garlic and the lemon juice and then cook it until the garlic's a little cooked and then add the capers at the end and that was it this is why every italian restaurant in the world has chicken or veal piccata on the on the menu uh because it is the simplest dish it is so simple Right. It's just like a few ingredients in a butter sauce, you know. Right. Um, so along with the fish, I made a mango salsa because I just love mango salsa. And mm. it it did not suffer from having both the mango salsa and the <laughs> piccata sauce at all. Uh, we also had some jasmine rice and what was our green vegetable? Oh, asparagus. We had some asparagus. Yes, they had asparagus at the store. And uh, yeah, it was good. And some leftover leftover hollandaise sauce for the asparagus, which was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everyone really liked the fish except for Ben, who was not a fan. Mm. <clears throat> he likes salmon. 
But I'm not sure he likes other fish. He's not really a big fish eater. He likes the the uh, fish and chips. Yeah, he'll eat fish sticks or fish and chips. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and but everyone else seemed to really like the the lemon butter garlic combo sauce. Mm-hmm. That lemon butter and garlic. I mean, those three things go together all the time. It's true. <laughs> they, were, they were really. I like the the brininess of the capers though. They really add a nice bite to the yeah to the i'm not usually a big fan of capers and i always feel like restaurant piccata puts too many capers in i was i was light on the capers this calls for and two tablespoons did you i put in maybe like not even a whole tablespoon mm. like maybe two teaspoons um i also put a lot more lemon juice than the recipe called for almost every recipe i mean this is probably because of our tastes but we find that almost almost every recipe has too little lemon. Yeah, this also wanted you just to cook the lemon slices in the sauce. And I find that one of the reasons I don't like piccata is that kind of makes the sauce more bitter. So I skipped the frying the lemon slices and I just put some of the zest in because then you don't have the pith, which is the bitter part. And so I just sprinkled some of the lemon zest into the sauce and then added extra lemon juice. See, restaurants do that. That's one thing they do. They do all the time. Uh, I remember that from when I worked um, at the Italian restaurant that they cook the lemon slices in the in the sauce, in the pan. Uh-huh. But I think I think a big part of that is the presentation. Right, Because it anything. looks pretty with the lemon slices on yeah. top. But but it has that bitter note that this did not have. And I think that's why, because those mm. lemon slices are going to be bitter. It's got the pith. If they're too thick, especially. Yeah. And if they cook too long, I mean. Really, in the restaurant, you throw them in right at the end and you just get a little bit of the, the you know, the, the sauce on it and then it, you serve it. So it's, it, it's not meant to be like cooked, cooked through. Um, yeah. So that was good. Yeah. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes and uh, give it a try. That's the that's the thing with the Lent. These are always trying. I mean, we we try to eat fish on Fridays in general, um, but I'm, I'm always I, I think I feel like in Lent, I'm always trying to find I don't want to do salmon every week, you know. Right. Um, and you can do other things. You can have, you know, uh, pizzas, you know, non pizza or pasta and sauce or whatever. It doesn't have to be fish on Fridays. But, um, you know, so trying trying to do new things. Uh, let's talk about books. And, uh, I finished a book this week. Woo-hoo. I finished, uh, the latest gray man novel by Mark Reaney in his series, the gray man called burner. I think it's the 12th book in the, in the series. So you may recognize gray man. That was the a movie that came out last year on Netflix. It was a huge movie starring, um, Ryan Gosling as the title character, Chris Evans as the scene chewing bad guy, um, it was in, directed by the Russo brothers of um, Avengers fame, and uh, it was okay movie. I mean, it was it was a fun action movie. It didn't have a whole lot of connection to actual the book series. Right. I really like this book series. It's it, it's a classic. the The character Court Gentry is he's a freelance assassin, former CIA, uh, who who basically takes jobs. Um. He never takes jobs to hurt good people. He only takes jobs where um, he's working against bad people. Sometimes he works for bad people to take out their rivals, but it's always he, he's always you know going after bad guys. Uh huh. I mean, from a Catholic moral perspective, it's still it's still objective moral evil. But 
anyway, we're, we're, we're reading a book. And so, um, but he's an interesting character because he's a loner, like the sort of person he is on the road, on the run, you know, never be able to settle down. He's not like this James Bond social butterfly. He's socially awkward and doesn't really get along with other people, doesn't know how to deal with other people. And, you know, what kind of life is that? And then when you, when he encounters someone else who is like him, a a woman who, that he might have possibly have a future with, how Uh does he deal with that? Um, A woman who's in the same, similar line of work. And how does he deal with his feelings with that? And all the sorts of stuff. In the meantime, it's in the midst of this larger story, which really involves the, um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So it's really ripped from the headlines oh, wow. sort of story. Uh, but it's, it's not about, it doesn't take place in Ukraine. It's really about Russian money and Russian sanctions and stuff like that. There is a set piece in the middle, this action set piece with takes place on a train from Italy to Switzerland. And it's, it's a long section of the book um, where there's this, this, this fighting. And the, the thing with Mark Greeny is um he used to work for Tom Clancy as his research assistant. Uh-huh. And so he's a lot like Tom Clancy, where he's all about getting the details right. He does lots of research. So whenever whenever there's a location, it's exactly you could look you could look it up online on Google Maps and you would see this is exactly the way it is. So when he says they're driving through the streets of Berlin or say uh, and they go down this street, and they go down that street and they end up over there. They actually like he's actually mapped it out. He knows exactly he's been there. Right. So he he the author, I, I I get his newsletter and he was saying last summer how he had gone on this train, the Euro City 42 or whatever it is from uh, Milan to Bern and did all his research. So like the all this action of the train takes place in a way in a, on a, the exact train in the exact locations. And I'm thinking. If only the people that were riding on the train with him at the time, knew <laughs> he was planning this gun battle. On the right. train. How would people feel about that? Um, so it's it's a great series. I really enjoy it. Um, it a very interesting character. He's, you know, uh, he's he's an antihero in, in many ways. Um, but uh yeah, I, you kind of I kind of root for him, so I like it. It was it's a good it's a good series. He he, he basically comes out about once a year. Comes out with another Gray Man novel every February or so. Uh, but he's also branching out into some other new series, and so I'm looking forward to more from him. So Mark Greeny, he's really good. It's I really enjoy it. How about you? What are you reading? Um, so I finished uh the Willa Cather book, and I started uh. Novel by Sigrid Unset, the Norwegian Nobel Prize winning novelist. This one is called The Wild Orchid, and it's the first part of a two part book. The second part is called The Burning Bush, I think. And it's about a young man in Norway um, in the beginning of the 20th century. So I want to say like the 19 teens. Okay. I think right before World War II, but I'm not positive. Um, And it's sort of just a coming-of-age novel, I guess you would say. He's a university student as the novel opens, and um, he ends up falling in love with this girl who is lower class. He's middle class. And 
she's kind of inappropriate, but he's absolutely sure he's in love with her. And he ends up wanting to just leave off his studies and go into partnership with his friend <clears throat> in business. He was going to be a scientist. He, he was almost done with his university degree. And he decides to go in business with his friend so he can afford to marry this girl. And then she ends up saying this isn't going to work and leaves him. Okay. And where I am now, he's about to make an imprudent marriage with another girl. He's very impetuous and led by his emotions. In the background, though, um, his parents are divorced and his mom is a free thinker and <clears throat> has rejected all traditional morality and religion. And his father's family are sort of... Um, members of the Norwegian state church, which is a right, Lutheran, Lutheran reformed, church. Yeah. Right. And one of his uncles is in fact a preacher in the state church and his sister is marrying a minister in the state church. And there's sort of this tension. He's rejected the Christian religion of school and his dad's family. But he also kind of rejects his mom's free thinking. And then during this university period, he ends up living with this Catholic family. And he's, in fact, given the bedroom of their son who is deceased. And it's filled with, you know, Catholic imagery and statues and their dead son's books. And he ends up kind of starting to be attracted to both the goodness of this Catholic family and their their extended friends. Mm -hmm. And he kind of pokes through the books and he starts to kind of have this spiritual awakening, but it's very gradual where he's attracted to it. And he's saying, if this is true, he keeps going, coming back to, if this is true, it would be amazing. If this is true, that there's a personal God who loves me. And he ends up getting in, even into theological arguments with his sister's fiance. He's like, this, what you're proposing doesn't even make any sense. Like, you don't even have to to sign up for a particular doctrine or creed. Like, every minister in the state church can basically preach whatever he wants to. Right. There's no set creed. There's or... no creed. And he's, he's very disgusted by that. But he's kind of attracted to the rigor of the, of the Catholic church. And he keeps stumbling into mass. And then it turns out one of his old schoolmates has become Catholic and, in fact, become a Catholic priest. And so you can see this gradual spiritual awakening while he keeps getting into these completely inappropriate sexual relationships that are tripping him up. It's Which is accurate, you know, sort of there's some verisimilitude in that, because a lot of times when people are coming to faith there, it's not a perfect. I cut things off from here and I'm now I'm perfect from here. There's often this period of time where you're a little of both. Right. And I think that's also true of, of Sigrid Unsid's own journey. She was a convert and a divorcee, and I suspect that she's pulling on a lot of her own experiences. Um, it's good. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I do try to, for Lent, um, read fiction that is kind of Linton in character. More, Not like more, international spy thrillers? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so I, I actually Googled like novels or fiction for Lent and I found some reading lists and this was one of the 
books mm. from one of those lists. I'm like, oh, yeah, I really liked Chris, uh, Kristen Laverne's Daughter, which was also by Sigrid Inson. And so I felt like I'd try one of her modern books. Like she wrote books set in the Middle Ages, historical fiction, and she also wrote um, historical nonfiction, uh, nonfiction. Like she wrote a book about Catherine of Siena. And, but this is a novel set during her lifetime not during the middle ages so i thought that would be an interesting uh, plus it was available on kindle for not too expensive nice nice um just, uh, there there was another book that was on my list of books of hers that i'd like to read that was not available on kindle and that was obviously less accessible cool so that's what we're reading um so let's talk about some stuff we've been watching. We we're I'm continuing to work through some of the uh TV series that I've been watching that nothing new that I haven't already talked about. But um we did watch the first episode of The Mandalorian season 3. We did. Which has some uh, I mean there's a lot of religion in this series. I mean the first episode is called The Apostate, which is you know and the Mandalorian sect that he belongs to is a sort of fundamentalist right, religious they're, group. They are, they're a splinter religious group, fundamentalists. Right. Where their weapons and armor are part of their religion. And in fact, at one point in the earlier seasons, he says weapons are my religion. And one of the tenets is then they can never take their helmet off. If you ever seen the Mandalorians, they have this armor and they, they're never allowed to take their helmet off and, well, so, only those people in his particular cult. In, in his particular, right? Their their little uh, splinter group. Um, there's. It starts with. The, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I, I do want to mention. Like the episode starts with this scene of this group inducting a child into their religion, um, and at first we thought it was going to be. This was a flashback. To um, is this not a spoiler? It's not really a spoiler. I mean, it, it, this is literally the first five minutes of the first episode. I guess. Um, but in any case, it's it's baptismal imagery. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, it's like there's a whole baptismal uh, aspect of this, which is I was watching this funny um, YouTube video <laughs> where the guy pretends to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he reviews the Star Wars shows. And he's like. Um, at one point, this giant crocodile creature comes out of the water and it's like, I've seen worse baptisms in Florida. This is like, or this is like a Florida baptism or something. Like it was really funny. Um, but there's a lot of religious thought and imagery. There's a lot of familial themes in the series. Yeah, it was very short. It was 35 minutes long, the first episode, but it was packed. There was a lot going on. It was I, how many planets did he visit? Like six was, in that 30 minutes? Yeah. It was it was boom, 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 boom. Right. Uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of characters, a lot of scenes. Space battle. Um, there was a gun shoot, you know, a shootout. Kind of like the opposite of how the Bad Batch started, which was kind of a slow start to the season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to see, is this the pace we're going to take? And is the next episode going to be longer i hope <laughs> i hope it's not a series like eight 35 minute episodes because that'll be kind of di be disappointing lots plenty of grogu some amazing grogu moments yeah um the the little creatures you've, if you've seen the trailers you, you know the the little aliens um babu freak from the rise of skywalker 
is a he's a Enzelin. They're like tiny little Italians, <laughs> space Italians. Hey, Babu freak! And uh, uh-huh. yeah, they're they're small than Grogu, and Grogu, being a toddler, wants to play with them. No, bad baby. <laughs> Play with them or eat them? I think he wanted to play with them because Gorgu says, because uh, uh, Din at one point says, no, no, they're not pets. <laughs> no squeezy. <laughs> All the kids have been going around saying, no squeezy. No squeezy. <laughs> Since we saw it. That's baby. It's <laughs> my favorite thing. Oh, I, all the kids, me, uh, have been to go around. So, so there was Mandalorian. So first episode out of the park, really good. Uh, also, the latest episode of Bad Batch. This is finally halfway through the season. It is we're starting to get more of the bigger story, and I think we're, they're, what they're trying to do is launch the Bad Batch into the bigger mythology that they kind of ended last season with, right? So, uh, which is interesting, and it's I mean it's it's fascinating. It's an animated story, but it's got just like Clone Wars eventually did got to. It's got these themes that are accessible for both children and adults. It's got this um, deeper layer to right. it, the story. And there's lots of themes, again, of family, um, fatherhood, you know, Hunter as a father figure. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, the doing good as opposed to just existing. That's another big theme. Right. Omega is constantly trying to get them to say, look, we're we're not just here to just kind of get by and stay off the radar of the of the empire. We need to do, help people. We need to do good. She's constantly looking for ways to do good. And she's constantly this child impelling these. She's technically older than them because they're all clones and rapid grown. But, you know, she's impelling these older guys to to do the good, to do the right thing, to see the things that need to be done and to do them. And it's, I, I really kind of like that. It's, it's got this Western feel kind of like the Mandalorian. Um, and, and some Westerns have that kind of theme where it's the young innocent who gets the grizzled old cowboy to go out and one more time to fight evil and do the right thing. So thoughts. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm, I feel, yeah, I, I agree. I feel like it's, it's kind of picking up and I feel like we're getting a sense of the, the bigger story opening up finally. Mm. And sort of, I guess a lot of serials do this where they have sort of very episodic episodes and then episodes which feel, which feel like they're part of a bigger arc. Right. And I feel like the first few episodes of the season were very episodic kind of self-contained and this one felt more like it was feeding into a bigger arc yeah picking up the bigger story and the fact the fact is is that this animated series has twice the number of episodes as the live action series it's like i think it's 16 as opposed to eight and so they have space time space so to speak (laughs) um to to do more room room to do more right uh so that's it's that's nice i like that I just it's so disappointing to have these series where you got eight episodes or six episodes and you got to wait two years. Like the, the the season two of The Mandalorian was like three years ago. <laughs> did, did you realize that? Like the last season of The Mandalorian was like three years ago. No, really? Yeah. 
No. Three yep. years? Yep. See, uh, I mean, look, look at that. Mandal- the Mandalorian. It wasn't in 2020. Season two was in 2020. No. <laughs> if you keep saying it, it's not going <laughs> to compete. I mean, I suppose Book of Boba Fett felt like a season of Mandalorian. Right. There that's, was That's why I don't feel like it's been that long. Two episodes of Book of Boba Fett that it featured, like one that was Grogu and Mando. So it was almost like an interlude in that season of season two and a half um, of one episode. And then they show up with and hang out with uh, Boba Fett for the rest of the season. But yeah, the season two was from October to December of 2020. Right. I think, I think because book of Boba Fett kind of, to me felt like it was a continuation of the Mandalorian. It doesn't feel like it's been that long since we've seen Mando and Grogu and gone on adventures with them. Right. Well, then there's that because that uh, reminds me of the other show I talked about last week, Carnival Row, which is in the second season. Uh I mean, the first season of Carnival Row was in 2019. It's been four years since since the first season. And now we finally get the second season. I thought that was done. I didn't think it was coming back, actually. And it's like it just I remember like when I was a kid. You know, you'd have September would start. You'd get 26 episodes, you know, with some breaks here and there. And then in March or April or May, you would take a break and then come back again in September. And like you got these seasons where things could happen. And it's like, oh, like it it just doesn't it, it, it doesn't feel like enough to only get six or eight episodes. Right. Like if. Like I'm willing to trade quantity for quality but only to a certain extent and then you know right 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 like it makes you wonder like what is the reason why we only get six or eight episodes well i mean i feel like in a way they've got so many different balls in there with so many different shows that it makes sense that what they're doing is sort of have a little bit of this and then a little bit of this and then a little bit of this i suppose i mean they want to they want to keep you engaged. So we'll have although they're overlapping Mandalorian and Bad Batch, which is kind of interesting, which is kind of annoying. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's annoying for the podcast because we have to drop you know, the secrets of Star Wars. They're, they're, they're dropping their discussion of the Bad Batch, the rest of the season of Bad Batch till after Mandalorian season. Well, from my from a family perspective, it's really frustrating because the kids want to watch them the day they drop. And for a while, we'd been doing a special treat interruption in the middle of the school day to watch. But, like, we can't just keep doing that indefinitely, like, right. interruption I, in the middle of the school day. And work day for me. Yeah. Right. So we're, gonna, we're having to rethink how we're doing this. And um, it's, it's hard to find time to sit down as a family and watch all together. Right. Well, like this week, I didn't have a podcast on Wednesday night. I usually three, three out of four weeks a month, I have a podcast on Wednesday night. So I can't just stop and watch a show at seven o'clock like we did this week or seven thirty, whatever right. it was. Um, so who knows? So what we're probably going to do is watch Mando the day it drops and then watch the Bad Batch the next night. I think right. that, that's the the interim solution anyway. We'll see. Um, all right, so that's uh, what we've been watching. So let's move on and talk about the second Sunday of Lent and what we heard at Mass. So our homilist this week, or the celebrant for a Mass this week, was Father Oliver again. Uh, and the readings were, uh, the first reading was from Genesis, and it was a- Lord saying to Abraham, 
I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the communities communities of the earth shall find blessing in you. The second reading was uh, St. Paul to Timothy, the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy. And then the gospel was the transfiguration, Matthew's transfiguration. And so Father had a couple of different things to say. He, first, on the Paul's letter to Timothy and, and Abraham, kind of riffing off of the both of them, he basically was saying, like, as Paul is talking to Timothy, he's saying, you know, bear your heart, share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. He's talking about suffering for the gospel. Uh-huh. And Father was saying, you know, the message here in these three readings is, you know, we might go through sufferings in this life. We we will have a share in the sufferings of Christ. Christ will suffer on the cross, and we will have a share in that. But that is in order for us to share eventually in Jesus's glorification. Jesus had to suffer before his glorification. We suffer before our glorification in in him. So uh, he was saying that, and then he he mentioned that first he assigned reading Matthew 17 for homework, everyone. He said, go home and get your Bibles because mm. you all have Bibles, right? <laughs> he, he, he was, uh, he had mentioned a few weeks ago, I think it was, he, he was shocked to learn that some of the prisoners didn't have Bibles at home. So she, everyone should have a Bible. And yeah, it was a few weeks ago. People don't have Bibles. People don't, people don't have Bibles necessarily. Yeah. People, everyone, every house should have at least a Bible. Maybe even everyone in the house should have their own. Uh, I have a shelf of them, but I used to work in a Christian bookstore, so that, and I have a theology degree, so. Yeah, I guess we haven't necessarily got every kid their own Bible. Bella mm-hmm. has her own, and Sophie has her own, and I think. I think we need to start getting everybody their I think, own Bible. I think Anthony has like a sort of. Children's Bible. Children's Bible, but not like an actual Bible. Yeah, I think as they get to a certain age, it's time for them to get them the, their own grown-up Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. So he signed Matthew 17, this whole, this chapter that contains, that starts with the transfiguration. And he mentioned like, of course, chap, chapter 16, Matthew 16 has some interesting things going on. So we, like we had recently in the, in the gospel, we had um, Peter's confession of faith in Jesus, you know, and on the, and then Jesus saying on this rock, I will build my church, you know, and then immediately followed by Peter Jesus telling the the disciples, "I will. Ha- I have to go up to Jerusalem, and I have to suffer and die." And Peter taking Jesus aside, saying, "Hey, you know, God forbid that this that you should suffer and die." And P- Jesus turning to Peter, who he just called the Rock, "Get thee behind me, Satan!" You know, calling him Satan. And so this transfiguration falls right after that, hmm. and it's Peter, James, and John. And it's keeps me. And it's also going to be Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the agony, in the garden. You know, he, Jesus keeps taking these three aside. And we were talking before we started why Peter, James, and John. And my my understanding, and this is just my own understanding, is James becomes the patriarch of Jerusalem, and he he represents the mission of the church to the Jewish converts. Peter, of course, becomes Bishop of Rome. And he represents the the universal the universal um, ministry of Peter, but also the ministry to the Gentiles to to go out into the world. John, the gospel writer, John also he takes in Mary who cares for Mary. And you mentioned also Book of Revelations and 
um, that he seems to have an oversight over the, the churches of Asia Minor, of the, the seven churches in Anatolia um, to present-day Turkey. So um, so those three are pulled aside. And John also is, you know, the beloved disciple, the one, you know, the one that Jesus loves, which I just love that John gives himself that title because, you know, Jesus loved me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jesus loves everyone. Um, anyway, so he takes them aside and he, and he keeps bring, bringing them aside, especially Peter, because they just don't get it. They don't understand the passion yet. They clearly don't get, understand. It's been three years. We've been walking together. I've been telling you about this. You still don't get it. Okay. I need to get, show you guys something. Takes them up and he shows them a hint of the glorification that he will undergo in the resurrection. So they know what's coming after the crucifixion. So that when the crucifixion comes and the flock is scattered, they'll have this to fall back on and say, okay, but he did remember. He showed us that he was glorified. The The Lord came down in glory and said, you know, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Um, are you listening? Uh, <laughs> and right. uh, so the transfiguration is this. Uh, it's like they're banking it. It's this. Uh, preview. Preview. Attractions. It's a fail safe. Like, you, OK, something bad's going to happen. Okay, it's going to re- look really bad. It's going to look like the end, but it's not because look, this. And they see the transfiguration. They remember the transfiguration. And so. Um, but it's what's interesting is that that's sort of implied, but it's never spelled never, out. Right. And we don't see, like, after the crucifixion, we don't see anybody reflecting. Like, you know, from a modern novel perspective, you would have the scene where... You gotta tie, you gotta, you gotta tie up the loose ends. Right. And the Gospels don't do that. They don't necessarily connect all the dots. They're just sort of, it's there, but you have to connect the dots yourself. You have to kind of figure out for yourself... Well, it's a teaching document. Like the the gospels are a teaching document, right? They're meant to be part of worship, part of a community. And so you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily just be handed the gospels and say, "Here you go." It will be explained to you, right? And that's I think that's one of one of the things about why the Bible isn't just a book for you know to hand to someone to learn about God, but it's part of the community. The, the The Word of God is part of the community. And so it needs to be explained, and that that part of it gets explained that in the teaching, in the handing on, just like we did, we do from the priests in the homily. So I, you know, I, you're right though. Like in a, in a novel, a modern novel, it would get spelled out, and you know, and then Peter remembered what Jesus had said on the mount, uh, whatever uh, the mountain was. I forget Tabor, Mount Tabor. Mm-hmm. So the other thing Father said was. Um, why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses represents the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the law, Deuteronomy and that sort of stuff. Elijah represents the prophets, the writings of the prophets. Right. So they are the Old Testament. Together, they, they represent the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, represents the New Testament. In other words, it's the complete representation of God among us, having the three of them there. The three of them there is a representation of how God is present among us in the word. Literally, you know, Jesus, the word, but also the word, the Bible, uh, but the, the presence of God among us. So what is the what is the message of this gospel? 
and Father wrapped it up by saying, if we take up our crosses and follow Jesus, we need to follow him and contemplate. If, if we do, the glory of God awaits us. We have to be mindful. You know, when we take up our cross, follow Jesus, be mindful of him, be mindful of his glorification, be mindful of his suffering and passion, and follow in his footsteps. Take up the cross, glory awaits. You know, suffering is not an end in and of itself. We don't suffer because suffering is good in that sense, like, you know, just in, in and of itself. We suffer because Christ suffered and because glory awaits. Mm. So that, that ties actually really nicely into it. I wanted to, to read a short poem that my friend Kate wrote, uh, Kate Blewett, um, who is an amazing hymn writer and poet. And uh, this was a contemplation of the transfiguration, and it really pulls out some of those themes. Uh, why are you changed while I am mud and dust? I thought you came here to be one of us. Where then, my light? Where is the awesome voice that could name me my beloved at its choice? I grovel in the dirt. You float above as if you won't be touched even for love. The cloud descending, God, but it is cold and presses me face down in muck and mold. Is this your glory? Joy and dust's return? Why bother then to make the poor dust yearn? If you are one of us, reach out your hand to touch my withered flesh and help me stand and leave the light and bid the cloud be gone to share all paltry stars of dusk and dawn as those who trail not up Tabor but down will share with you the lashes and the crown. This vision makes no sense to one who dies, so save it for the ones who wake and rise. We still have so much suffering to get through. Do not suggest we do it without you. Nice. Yeah, it's really got that sense of the vision is followed by that suffering and that feeling of being bereft and wondering why are we given this tantalizing vision when we still have so much suffering to get through, when we feel so the remoteness of God sometimes. Mm. And it catches, I think, that feeling of that Jesus himself expresses of the why why have you abandoned me on the cross which i I imagine was voicing exactly what peter would have felt if he were had been standing there god why have you abandoned me right jesus why have you abandoned us right i mean that's what i was thinking was like even with the having seen the transfiguration peter still ran (laughs) still denied jesus three times he still got afraid um because I mean, and even Jesus on the cross, quoting from the, the Old Testament, but you right. know, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This was such a profound moment of loss, suffering. Yeah. All right. So, um, as Father Oliver finished his homily, he said, "May our sufferings on earth lead us to the joys of eternal life in heaven." And I think that is a nice way to, to end. Amen. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Stephen R., Donald S., Mike D., Craig S., and Dominic M. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Raising the Bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give.
And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Follow Raising the Bets in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious.